0: Good evening. How are we doing? Good. Good to see you here tonight. Thanks for showing up and pray that God would do something in your life as he's been doing in mine as I've wrestled through this text in Acts chapter eight. Uh, I did this a couple weeks ago and uh, while the singing is taking place, I'm trying to listen to the words and uh, I don't want to over spiritualize this, but I often think that God often matches without even us knowing what I'm going to speak on and what the songs are being sung. And I, so I hope that that's part of our heart tonight is, when we worship through singing, we're, we've started the mind, if you will. So I don't want you to ever think that, you know, this is the mine, but we've purposefully added singing so that the lyrics that are being sung could prepare our hearts for God's word. And certainly tonight, that is no exception. Uh, one of the songs we sang, I was back there writing on this napkin, Um, uh, we sang, give me faith to trust what you say, that you're you're good and your love is great. We sang it three or four or five times, right? And so, give me faith to trust what you say, that you're good and your love is great. And I was listening to that and I was singing it and I was watching you all sing it and I just thought, are we doing that? Are we trusting in what he says? And of course, what we do here at the mine is, we look into his word to figure out, God, what are you saying? So four things I want to accomplish tonight are four areas of trust that I struggle with, and, and maybe you do as well, and I find that in the text of Acts chapter 8. So go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8. If you, this is your first time with us in the in the mind, we're working our way systematically through the book of Acts, and we find ourselves in Acts chapter 8. And as Frankie mentioned, I'm going to try to get through the whole chapter tonight. So a little bit of... Uh, uh, a different feel tonight as we are going to tackle passages at a time rather than verses at a time. But here's the first thing I want to talk about tonight, guys, and that is this. is Are you trusting God during opposition? It's easy to trust God when life is good, right? It's easy to trust God when we're doing well and we're healthy and happy and the holidays have come upon us and, and we're just loving it. And maybe Thanksgiving was that for you, but I know for Thanksgiving, for some of us, it wasn't that. And all of a sudden now we're feeling this opposition, whether it's from co-workers or neighbors or family members themselves, about what we believe and why we want to celebrate this season so richly and, and so deservedly, I think. Are you trusting God during opposition? Because what I see in Acts chapter 8 is a lot of opposition. And these people that are going to be left to carry out the word of God... They need to do that. They need to trust God during opposition. For instance, look at verse 1 here, and we ended right around here a couple weeks ago. In verse 1 of chapter 8, the text tells us that Saul was in hearty agreement with putting uh, him to death, it says. And that him is referenced to chapter 7, and that is Stephen. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that Stephen really becomes the first martyr of the Christian church. And what's fascinating to me is because we know the end of the story, it it loses a little bit of luster. But if you were to just notice this man named Saul, right off of the first three verses of chapter 8, you would think the last person that God is going to use in any way is this guy. And here's why. And we read this and I'm not sure we really understand what is taking place here in Acts 8 verses 1 through 3. The text says this, and Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. If you go back up to Acts chapter 7 and look at uh, verse 58, when they had driven him, meaning Stephen out of the city and began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the, young feet of, uh, at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord, and he said, Lord, receive my spirit, and falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Lord, do not hold their sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. And then just keep going here, because I think that's what Luke wanted us to understand. Is and Saul was in hearty agreement with this. Now, again, I think in our Western culture here, we're really not grasping what was happening here. So um, I don't know if we can. Not, I pulled out the. Do we have the? Uh, is the image on? Someone clap or yell or something. When you let me know, when it's on. Um. In Acts chapter 8, then, Paul is, or Saul is watching a man get stoned. Okay, and so I just want us to kind of just sit in that for a moment. He's watching a man for his faith get stoned to death. Now, you may have some people that are in opposition to you. You may have some friends that you don't like, or they don't like you because you're a Christian. You may have some people that really question your faith and have challenged you, and they're kind of a thorn in your flesh. Do you have someone that would rejoice in your death? I mean, do you have someone in your life that doesn't like you enough to rejoice in your death? Because that's what Saul was doing to this man named Stephen. Um, Is it up yet? Can we get... Do we have any images? I'm going to throw this image up. Got it? Good. Okay. Yes? Okay. Now again, this is a rendition, so take it for what it's worth. Can you imagine being Stephen right here? Look, look at the guy! Look at the guy! You know, with the big stone, big rock over his head. Guys, being stoned to death was not a merciful, quick. Take three cocktails and put you to sleep—kind of an execution. And 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 in this particular case. There wasn't even due process. Look back up at chapter seven. Being when they heard this in verse fifty four, the Jews were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Dropped down to fifty seven, but they cried out with a loud voice when when he said, "Behold, I see the Son of Man." Saying the right hand, they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. So get the, get 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 what's going on here. He systematically went through the Old Testament and accused them of murdering Jesus Christ, if not them, then certainly their fathers. And because of that accusation, they lost it. The wheels come off here. And they grab him in one impulse together, collectively. They throw him out of the city. And then they just go, they're looking now. They're looking for rocks to pick up to not just harm him, Right, their intention isn't just to teach him a lesson here. These are bloodthirsty people right here. I mean, this guy is—he just—he wants to take a rock and he wants to throw it at this guy's head and kill him. So, so what would you, you know, be Stephen here? How would you react in this situation? What would most of us? What would most of us do? We'd probably try to run, but if the crowd is so big and they keep pushing us down, there's nowhere you ever, you ever been in a situation where there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to get out. So now what do you do? How do you protect yourself? You go fetal, right? You go, you go, go fetal. So, so now it's going to take even longer. But guys, if you're against a riot, if you're against irrational people, all you've done is prolonged what is inevitable. They're, they're going to kill him and they're going to do it brutally and barbarically until he's dead, until they can see him laying there no longer. Now, now, here's what's cool about God, I think, is that is that look at chapter seven, verse 60. He said, Lord, do not hold us against him. And I think that that image there is him looking up to God and saying, Lord, do not hold them against him. And then falling on his knees, he said, don't hold it. Him. And then it says this. And having said this, he did what was what the text say? He fell asleep. I I think that, honestly, you know, we'll have to ask him when we get there, but I think that God spared him. I think that before the rock, first rock, split his skull open, um, God took him. That's my guess, I hope. Certainly that wasn't the case for everyone. And look at the guy here. You know, I don't know, this is all, of course, this is a rendition here, but do you see the guy... With his hands like this, with no rock in it. And then the guy to the, it would be to the left of him, I guess. No, to the right of him, in the shadows. Who might that be? See, guys, I don't think we capture when we read chapter 7 into chapter 8. This is Saul. This is Saul. Did, did you see the news the other day that, that they, 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 um, uh, Hindu. Tradition, every once every five years, they worship, uh, Hindus are polytheistic, so they worship many gods. And one of the female deities, uh, they have concluded desires, sacrifices, mass sacrifices. And so did you see this? They sacrificed thousands of water buffalo calves in this arena type place. Um, and bu- water buffalo calves are still, you know, they're big. And so they showed these guys sharpening their their machetes and they let these thousands of water buffaloes just start roaming. These calves roam in this arena. And then these, these guys, dozens of them, with just like handmade like blades, like, like, uh, like mowing uh, lawnmower blades kind of thing, just sharpen. They just start hacking these, these water buffalo. And their desire, what they say is, because animal rights activists, you can imagine, right? I mean, all PETA's all over this thing. And what they say is, is that, well, our intention is to sacrifice to our God, which, you know, if that's your deal, that's your deal. And it's to, 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 with one blow to kind of cut their head off. Guys, if you're a water buffalo watching your water buffalo friends get their, you know, get hacked, what are you going to do, right? You're not going to lay down and stick your neck out. I mean, you're going you're to run. And so they're hacking. They said sometimes it takes them up to 40 minutes, 40 minutes to bleed out to die. This guy in the shadows here, let's just say, let's just say it's Saul. The word in the Greek there for hearty agreement is that he's applauding this. He's pleased about it. He's watching this guy get his head bashed in and he's loving it. Like he's just, he can't get enough of it. And you're a believer in Jesus and you hear about Stephen getting stoned. Because look at verse two, and on that day, not later, not years later, but on that day, great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. Have you ever have you ever been a part of um, the bad side of impulse thinking, the bad side of irrational thinking? Um, obviously like Black Friday comes to mind, like the, you know, the doors open and it is like everyone for themselves and you're trying to be sane about it, you know, and it's just impossible. Like that would be a light case. Do you guys remember, I think I have some pictures here. Um, do you guys remember some of these? Uh, can you see, is that coming up? Okay, good. Uh, this was the New York City blackout in 77. I was a part of that, uh, amazingly. I grew up in New York, upstate New York, but we were in the city on this day. I was at a ball game. I was at a a Mets game at Shea Stadium. Lights go out. Just complete blackout. Crazy. And when we get into these modes, I think we go into like this herd mentality, right? Like this, what is everyone else doing kind of a thing. Just riot kind of impulse. Um, this um, This was Rodney King rioting. Remember that in LA? This was in 92 guys getting beat up by cops and whatever your position is on that, um, people took advantage of the opportunity, just went crazy. Hurricane Katrina, one of our worst national disasters, natural disasters, and people took an opportunity to go and loot and riot and raid. And then, of course, most recently then, uh, um, Ferguson, right? This whole big issue about who's right and who's, who's in the wrong and whatnot... But people don't see it that way. They see it as not, not an opportunity to protest or not an opportunity to say, hey, what we think what you're doing isn't right or what you did or what it is right or whatever. They see it as an opportunity as there's a store, let's bust in, let's steal some stuff. And guys, that's, that's herd mentality. It's saying, hey, even, even if I wanted to think rationally in this moment, I can't because of whatever's happening around me. That's what's happening right here. It says on that day, after they watched Stephen basically get his head split open, a great riot occur- occurs, a great persecution arose against the church. So you're the church in Jerusalem now. You just heard there's running and there's panic in the streets now. And now they're going after believers. If you're part of the way, if you're part of this Jesus movement, your life is now in danger. How apt are we at this point to trust God? Right? How apt are you when, when, when maybe even something smaller comes your way? Do you go into fetal? Do you run? Do you try to figure out on your own? Or do you stay the course? And do you say, God, you're bigger than this? Because here's what's amazing. Look at verse 4. Uh, go to verse, we'll go to verse 4 but go to verse 3 first or 2 I mean on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem and they were scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria and where were they originally? what city are they in right now? Jerusalem okay hold your finger there just go back 7 chapters go, go to Acts chapter 1 just go to the book of Acts chapter 1 Because here, here's my second point. The first is you got to trust him during opposition. You really do. You have to trust him in opposition because here's the reason why, guys, I really do think this. Because God is going to accomplish his will. He's going to. Look at Acts chapter one. Check it out in verse seven and read verse seven and eight. And Jesus said to him, Jesus says to the disciples this, is that it, it is not for you to know times or epics, which are basically, um, uh, particular times or general times which the father is fixed by his own authority but jesus says this you'll you you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses three places you're going to be my witnesses jerusalem judea samaria and you're a disciple listening to Jesus tell you that, do you think for any stretch of your imagination, the way you're going to get to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, particularly Judea and Samaria, is through persecution? Do you think when Jesus said that to the disciples, they were thinking, boy, I hope it plays out like this. I hope one of our faithful gets his head bashed in and then I hope a great riot occurs and I hope my life's on the line. So I hope I just pack up what I can and scatter. And it just so happens coincidentally that I end up in Judea or Samaria. Jesus, if that's your plan, that's a great plan. Like I'm in for that, right? They were probably thinking like we think. I see the end game and now what my job is, God, you've you've given me a passion for youth. You've given me a passion for missions. You've given me a passion for family ministry. You've given me a passion for children's ministry. You know, whatever it is. You've given me a passion to be a nurse. You've given me a passion to be a teacher. What, you know, whatever it is. I see the end game. And then what we do as believers, I think, is often we say, now, God, my job is to help you figure out how I'm going to get there. Right? So, So, God... I know you have a plan. And I know I've got a plan. So we're going to set up a date. We'll get some coffee. And we're just going to merge our plans. And that way, it's a win-win. God, everyone wins. And so Jesus tells the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses even to Judea and Samaria. And then what he says, well, we're not in chapter one anymore, even to the remotest parts where? Of the earth. Which at that time was probably like like into Asia and South Africa and into Southern Africa and stuff. Like those were, that was the ends of the earth at that time. And the disciples are thinking, that sounds great. And I think I know how to get us there. I've got a plan. And I guarantee you, their plan did not include death by martyrdom, persecution, grab what you can and let's just go. And yet... That's the way God wanted it to play out. See, guys, I, some, I sometimes think that we don't trust God when it doesn't fall into the plan that we had created. And then when the plan that we had created doesn't go the way we're looking, we say to God, it's, I, I'm not going to get to the end game. I'm not going to get to be a nurse. I'm not going to get to be a missionary. I'm not going to get to work with youth. Why? Because I started down this path and then something came up and now I'm over here. How am I going to get over there? And what God, I think, is saying here in Acts is, are you trusting me? Give me faith to trust what you say. Like, that should be our prayer tonight. That should be our cry tonight. We sang it like 20 times. But it's not really tested Until your plan doesn't align to God's and then God says to you and to me, guess whose plan trumps whose? So create a plan. That's fine. And if by chance your plan matches mine, wonderful. But guess what? If your plan doesn't match mine, guess whose plan wins? And we see this with Philip. Watch this. Look at verse four. Oh, well, real quick in verse three. Actually, verse 2, really, really fast. Some devout men bury Stephen. I just wonder, guys. Look, at they made loud lamentation over him. Like, these guys buried him. It was very, very disrespectful uh, for a Jew not to be buried. Very disrespectful. And so they buried him. But while they were burying him, they were grieving. They were lamenting. I wonder if we live lives that are worth lamenting over. Like if I die, will people like weep loudly kind of a thing? Not because you're some great person, but because of the connection you made with them, because of the relationship you have, because of the impact you made, because of the legacy you left behind, because of the faith that you had that said you could kill me and I'm still not going to not believe So they did. They killed him brutally. And these men, I just love that Luke included that, that they lamented, made loud lamentation over him. They wailed over him, over his death. As they picked up his broken body. They wept over him. I love that. I love that he lived a good, faithful life. Saul doesn't care. Look at verse 3. Saul just keeps ravaging. Saul began ravaging. Saul is so caught up in this persecution right here. He's like bloodthirsty over these Christians. He enters house after house and literally grabs men away from their families, grabs moms away from their kids, and throws them in prison to await trial. And he could care less. He's destroying families. And he loves it. And the church now, for God's glory, is scattered. And guys, I need you to know this. This is a very, very critical time in the church right here. This is a very, very critical time where persecution could overwhelm them and they could scatter into nothing. We seem to work well when we're in forces, right? When we're in groups, when we're in ho- holy huddles, if you will, right? When we're all together. Yeah, we're Christians and God loves us. And, you know, we're just, we're, we love others. And and then as Pastor Lynn has said so many times up here, this is like kind of a kickstart. Like this is Sunday and Tuesdays. We just kick you out into the world. We scatter you. And isn't it an interesting when our faith, like our faith quotient, you know, or whatever, our power faith, it's like here in church, right? Like, I've, yeah, give me faith to trust what you say, you know, both hands raised, you know, maybe I'm on my knees, I don't know, you know, whatever. And then, I, and then the next day, I'm at the mailbox with Susie, the neighbor. And I've got a great opportunity to invite her to Christmas Eve service. And I, then I start to hear, right? Then I start to hear, give me faith to trust. Me. <laughs> you know, It's like, shut up, Holy Spirit. Where'd your faith go? And then I'm with Dan at the, at, the, at the desk, right? And Dan's like, you know, and you know, just How'd you, how was your weekend? You know, what'd you do this weekend? And he just, Dan just opened the door at work for me to talk about, wow, I was at church and had this guest speaker and talked about anger and, you know, just really just had to wrestle with that. I just loved it. And hey, do you go to church? Hey, do you, you ever think about that and how God thinks about our anger? And, and that window is what, like three seconds long? Give me faith to trust. <laughs> and and we, we either step in or we don't, guys. I love what happens in verse 4 because those who were scattered, listen to this. Those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. They didn't give up. They, they, some of them may have even witnessed Stephen getting murdered, and they didn't give up. They kept going. They have no idea now. They're in. They're in. They're in a different territory. They're in a different. They're in a different neighborhood. A different. A different county. A different region, and they didn't give up. I love that. I love that Luke didn't write, and therefore those who had been scattered really had to get together and map out a plan. And so they started meeting and they weren't sharing with anyone. They had to figure life out first. They had to get settled. They had to get their kids in school and they had to figure out where they're going to work. And, and then they started to preach the word. It doesn't say that. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Do I trust God during opposition? Do I trust God that he will accomplish his will? You will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. I know how you're going to get there. You don't know how you're going to get there. Trust me. I want you to be a nurse. I want you to be a minister. I want you to be a school teacher. I want you to be an accountant. I want you to be a CEO. I do. I really do. I want you to do that. I want to give you the desires of your heart. I just need you to trust me. I'll get you there. Uh, Guys, I, I think long ago I told you this story. I came to the mine when um, uh, Jeff Royce was teaching. Anyone Was anyone here during Jeff's time? Okay, a lot of us. And I saw Jeff teaching probably right from here. What is this, maybe seven years ago, six, eight years ago? Maybe, I don't know. Eight, seven, eight years, six, seven, eight years ago. And I remember sitting right back there somewhere, and you know what I was thinking? How cool would that be to teach the mine one day? Seriously, I'm sitting back there thinking, they let you come up here and like open up God's word and they'll do like a verse by verse study. Like how cool, how cool would that be? And then somebody, I can't remember who, somebody told me, you know, I think they actually pay him to do it. And my mind just blew up. Like, pff, like you gotta be kidding me. Like, you mean he doesn't pay to do this? And, and so I, I went to God, honestly, true confession. I said, God, I, I would, that would be like, I could teach one mind and then die. And like, I'd go to heaven and that'd be a good, good way out. Like I wouldn't mind that scenario. And guys, I'm just, I'm just telling you through wild circumstances, like weird, wild circumstances. We still don't have time tonight. You know, I have the privilege of doing this. God doesn't want to suppress the desires of your heart. He wants to free you up. He wants to allow you to do what he's called you to do. He's just simply asking, you've got to trust the way I'm going to get you there. It might not be the way you think I'm going to get you there. Look at Philip here. Same thing with Philip here, verse 4. Um, Therefore, those who have been scattered went about preaching the word. Okay, now I'm going to get through this section a little faster between Philip and Simon the magician. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Uh, let me just pull up, if I can, if we still have... Uh, something up here, do we have, okay good, all right, so let me just show you, because I need to, I need, this needs to make sense um, uh, with um, location, most of us haven't been over to the Middle East, or if you have, you may not be terribly familiar with this this side of the Middle East, or Israel in particular, and so we are right here, and what I want to show you, actually, let me just move it over here, uh, okay, oh, there it is, okay, so, just map-wise, this is what we're talking about. And so this is where the action is taking place. And so the rest of our discussion tonight will focus on this area. So, notice how Samaria here is north of Jerusalem, okay? And I find that interesting because the text says, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began to him place, okay? Any, any idea as to why he went down if, if Samaria is north? Yeah, it's lower in elevation. Okay, so just don't, don't get like, you know, hey, I saw a map one time and Samaria was north of Jerusalem and so the Bible's all wrong and I gave up my faith because of that. Don't do that, okay? Um, <laughs> the Bible's not wrong. And so it just means that Samaria is lower in elevation. So we went down to Samaria, okay? All right. And Philip went down and the multitudes with one accord, watch this, were giving attention to what he, what he, was, what he was saying as they heard and saw the signs he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was much rejoicing in the city. We have the same formula going on that we see with the apostles, with Peter and John, uh, yeah, Peter and John, where they start, God starts the ministry, if you will, he jump starts it with some wild stuff, miracles, signs and wonders. And that's what's happening here. Now, there was a certain man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving him attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving attention to him because for a long time he astonished them with his magic arts. 21st century reading of this and first century reading. Okay, 21st century reading says... Okay, Simon the Magic Man, Simon the Magician is you know akin to David Copperfield, Chris Angel, David Blaine, and that's not the kind of magic he was practicing. So dismiss that from your mind and get into your mind. First century magician, divination, sorcery, um, dream telling. If if that makes any more sense, or but that's what he was doing. Now here's what I know about magicians, guys. I don't know much, but I know this. My son, fifteen year old. Pretty good magician. I got to give it to him. He really is. He's, he studied it. And what I've learned from my son who's 15 and does magic, and he could come up here and wow you, he really could, is it's an art. It's it's studied. It's magic. It's a trick. It's an illusion. There's nothing behind it, right? And so, and the internet has killed magic, right? The internet, you can go on the internet and just find out how, how people do the tricks. Magicians hate it because it used to be, oh my gosh, I'll never figure it out. Now it's like, okay, how would they do that? Nonetheless, even when we have the internet, we're still amazed by it. But in the back of our minds, we know this. Something, he did something or she did something to make that happen, okay? Simon knows that. Simon knows that the kind of life he's living is an illusion. It's magic. It's a trick. It's a hoax. He's a hack. And yet, he's so good at it, people refer to him as the great power of God. I just want to make that clear as we launch into his life. He's not acting on God's behalf. He's not representing God here. It's magic. It's just that when we get enamored with that and we can't do it, we're impressed with somebody. Wow, look what they can do. I've got two tricks and magic and one of them's pretty good. The other one, I just take a deck of cards and I guess it before it comes out. So I say, watch this, eight of clubs, boom. And I pick out some card out of the deck. And what I do is I figure I got a one in 52 chance of getting it right. And guys, I'm telling you, I've done this about 50, 70, I don't know, 50, 75 times. I've got it right like six, seven times. Four hearts. Watch this. Boom. And I show him the four hearts. And I look at it and I'm amazed. I'm like, that really is the four hearts. You know, I got to play it cool. Like I knew what I was doing. It's a trick. And that's, that's his MO right now. Why is that important? Because watch this. But they, when they believed Philip, preaching in verse 12, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. Now, notice what what wins people to Jesus isn't the miracle. It's not the sign or wonder. It's not because Uncle Fred got healed. What wins people to Jesus, guys, is going to be you at the mailbox, you at the Thanksgiving dinner table, you at work, you at the grocery store, sharing the good news about the kingdom of God. That's what wins people into heaven. Okay? And the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, men and women alike. So a bunch of people believe what Philip's message is all about. In Samaria. And now they want to get baptized to proclaim their faith. Look at verse 13. And even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. It seems like Simon bought in. Okay, Simon's just, he went for it. He, he saw, heard the message, he loved the message, he went for it, and now he's a believer. And so the third point tonight is this. Let God determine who's a believer and who's not. Because we're going to see a case now where there's a lot of evidence to suggest Simon really didn't mean what he did. And sometimes, guys, we have relatives or friends or coworkers or whatever that get caught up. It's the summer camp effect, right? Who wants to come down front? Who wants to walk the aisle? Who wants to raise their hands? And it's just a, it's an emotional plea. And for whatever reason, the song made sense. You know, I felt it or whatever. I made the, I made the decision, but it wasn't a legitimate decision. Okay, we have to know that. We have to know that when Pastor Lynn does like a, hey, pray with me, raise your hands, you have to know that people that raise their hands, some of them genuinely believe, and then some of them don't. I worked at a church once where I asked the guy, because there's always a guy that counts who does that, you know, because you got to count the numbers. And so one of the, one of our pastors on staff, he was the counter. Because we're all supposed to have, what, what's the phrase? with every With every head bowed and every eye closed, right? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to know Jesus, raise your hand. And then what does the pastor do? What does he say? after everyone raised their hand, thank you, thank you, thank you, right? So in my mind, I'm counting the thank yous. And I went to a church that wasn't terribly big, and I'm thinking, there's no way like 17 people came to Christ today. Like, you know, we have like 40 people in our church. There's no way that like over half weren't believers that came in the doors. So, you know, so I go to the pastor, I'm saying, I said to him, you know, how does, because you've got to look, he's, 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 he's looking. Just know that if you're ever in that situation, someone's looking, and he was looking. And so I I said to him, you know, how many were legit? Like how, you know, and he said, "Listen, we've got some people every week cuz we were part of a church that did it every week. The pray with me's every week." He said, "I've got some people that raise their hand every week." Every week, they're they're one of the people that raise their hands. Clearly, they're not understanding what it means to believe in Jesus. It's a one-time deal. It's a change of heart. It's a regeneration, and that takes place once and once only. Okay? So the question is, did Simon really believe? And guys, if you have family members or friends or co-workers and you're struggling with, I just don't see it. And maybe I'll take a step out tonight and say this. Maybe that's you. Maybe you made a profession, got caught up in the moment, whatever it may be. And yet maybe a year's gone by, maybe two years, or maybe three years gone by. And if we looked at like the fruit of the spirit versus the deeds of the flesh, you'd be leaning over to the deeds of the flesh saying, that's my life right now. Love, joy, peace, peace, kindness, goodness, gentle, faith, self-control. I don't see any of that right now. Like you'd admit that. Okay. You know that and God knows it's not our job is what I'm saying. Because people have challenged other people when they talk to, about Simon and they say, well, he believed, he got baptized, that means he's in. Now watch this. Now when the apostles heard that in Samaria had received the Holy Spirit, or the Word of God, they sent Peter and John, came down and prayed for them, they might receive the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Paul, by the way, Paul does the same thing in Acts chapter 19. And so when we get to 19, we'll focus on that just for time's sake. I'm going to bypass that tonight. When Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of hands, he offered them money to the apostles saying, give this authority to me so that everyone on whom I pray and lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, now some, some people believe this. Why would Simon offer the apostles money? Again, against his backdrop he's a magician. He's used to conjuring up things, but he's doing it, you know, at this level. He sees Philip walk into town and Philip's healing people. Philip's proclaiming miracles like he doesn't know how he's doing it. So a bunch of people believe in Philip's message and Simon says, I want in on this. Then the apostles come down and they touch people and literally the Holy Spirit then is given to those people. And in Acts chapter 19, we're going to see when Paul does it, they begin speaking in tongues and have the the sign gifts are all given to them at that point. So Simon sees that and he goes to the apostles and says, I got to get in on this. I mean, like I've done magic like this. Like I can do some pretty good dream telling, you know, and I can you know do some divination every now and then. But like, you know, you guys are killing it here. So I'll even pay for it. And sometimes, guys, we just don't know what the motive of people's hearts is. Because Peter says this. Peter says to him in verse 20, May your silver perish with you, Simon, because you thought you could obtain this gift with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart isn't right before God. So that's why people think that Simon really never believed. Because Peter's calling him out right now. Peter's saying, you didn't make, you you, you got dunked. All you did was get wet. Your heart isn't here, Simon. You want to buy this. You want to you you want to buy what God has given, bestowed upon us as gifts. You want you want to buy it for your own glory, for your own use. He says, May may your silver perish with that kind of thinking. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours. Pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. I mean, Peter saw right through him here, and he leaves Simon, and Simon says, "Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you said me." He got he got scared right here, right? He got really, really scared, and he said, "Guys, I don't want any of that to happen. So pray for the Lord, please pray pray yourselves for me that I that I would actually repent, truly repent." Kind of the the, the jig is up here. Peter called him on it, okay? And so, guys, if 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 people are in your life that you are thinking. Ah, man, I just don't know. Uh, my my encouragement tonight is just trust God. Just trust that God knows, and He will use people that have the gift of discernment to speak into those people's lives and call them on what maybe you're you're questioning. It becomes a really difficult thing when we start what we call like fruit picking, spiritual fruit picking. You know, we're 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 checking people out by you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, and. We can really spin our wheels doing that. Let God use people with the gift of discernment to say to those people who need it, you better check yourself. Okay, one more thing and then we're done tonight. In fact, I apologize greatly. I don't even have a watch on me. Okay, good. I got a little bit of time. Okay. Um, let me go back to that because I want to keep the map up. Okay, one more thing and that's this. Okay, trust God to resist uh, that you can get through opposition. Trust God that he has a will and his will is going to be accomplished. Trust God that he knows the people who truly love him. And then finally this, guys. Trust God that he really seriously is and can do amazing things through you. You've got to trust him. I know sometimes life is mundane. I know for a lot of us, life is just the grind. We go to work, or we raise a family, or we're just doing our thing, and week after week, year after year, and we think, God, seriously? Please, don't leave here tonight doubting that God can use you. Philip is a nobody, guys. Philip is a guy who loves the Lord, and he has no special skill set or talents. He's just obedient and faithful. And God says to Philip, remember when I said, I'm going to make you my witnesses in Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then even to the remotest parts of the earth. How would you like to be that guy? How would you like to be the person that I'm going to send to the remotest parts of the earth? Now, here's the cool part. He does it and Philip doesn't even have to leave that region. God's God. God will accomplish his will the way he wants to. He's just looking for you and me to be faithful, to trust him with what we have. Pick it up in 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, arise, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So look up here at the map. Okay, Philip's in Samaria. So he went, the red's going down or up, whatever you want to read it, up into Samaria. He comes back down in Jerusalem and then the angel of the Lord says, go from Jerusalem and then over here to the left here, far left, bottom left is Gaza or Gaza, okay? So the angel of the Lord says basically, okay, start in Jerusalem and just start walking. There's a road here. You can't really see it, but there's a road here and he's right about where, oh, nuts. Now it's going to probably tell me about one of these cities that I really don't want to know about. All right. So the road here is going to um, where the, it says Valley of Elah, somewhere right around there is where Philip ends up. Now, notice what the angel of the Lord says here. He says, arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Did he tell Philip any more than that? What might your question be if you're Philip or if you're you or if you're me? What might our question be? Angel of the Lord shows up. Hey, I need you to get in your car. I need you to drive down to Tucson. Like, God, no. But yes, I need you to drive down to Tucson. What would our question be? Why? And I don't know if we necessarily even ask it out of like, you know, irreverence or disrespect. I just think that's just our nature to do that. Philip, arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Verse 27, and he arose and went, semicolon, and he asked the angel why, and he questioned as he was going, wondering what's the agenda, and he asked the angel who's going to pay for this. And he said, where do I turn in my receipts? Right? <laughs> I need you to get up. Look where he is. He's in Samaria. I need you to go down to Jerusalem, hang a left or a right, and start walking to the road to Gaza. Okay? Guys, word of advice. If an angel ever tells you to do anything, just do it. I mean... Get out of bed, put on your shoes, do whatever you need to do and just go. I mean, God leads us in all kinds of ways, right? I mean, God, you know, softly speaks to us. He uses other people. Sometimes there's dreams, you know, and how many of us, seriously, I mean, how many of us audibly have heard an angel of the Lord say something? So if that happens to you, I'm just telling you, you're you're special because it doesn't happen to most of us. So kudos to you. Write a book and we'll buy it. But do what he says. Don't question him. And I think, honestly, guys, I think if verse 27 started with, and Philip said, I'm going, I'm just curious, what do you want me to do? I think we have a totally different story. I think it may I think it may play out like this. Um, I don't want you to do anything now. So go back up to Samaria or go do whatever. Go plant a church, I don't care really. Because what I wanted you to do, I'm going to pick someone else now. I think we have a totally different story for Philip's life. Why, why, why do we struggle, guys, with obedience? Um, I'm doing some research on kids right now. And, oh my gosh, some guy came up with eight characteristics of 21st century parents. And he gave them all titles. Helicopter parents is obviously in there. But then there's like karaoke parents. There's star parents. Uh, there's bullied parents, there's uh, sergeant parents, et cetera, et cetera. And they all mean basically the same thing, which is we are parenting much different than we did when we were growing up or, you know, when our grandparents were growing up, et cetera. Parenting is much different today. And it has a lot to do with this, disobedience. The bullied parents is, the, the, the category for that is you're a parent that your kid just runs you. Your kid just runs you. And I think a couple weeks ago, I showed you a little clip of that, of a kid running his parents, just screaming at his mom. And the mom's videotaping it. I don't know why. Uh, Maybe she wants to send it to someone. Clearly it got on YouTube. So she's videotaping her kid just going off on her. And I teach high school and I showed my seniors this who are 17. So they're not out yet. You know, and they're a little older than this kid. Kid was about seven. And I said, what would you... At 17 or 18, like, what would you do? It was a minute and a half rant about why he couldn't watch TV that night. Called, told her to shut up. Stomping his feet. Kicking things. And and I, we played it. And I got to the end and I said, what would you guys do? And almost to the person, all the 17, 18 year old kids said, like, that that kid wouldn't have a backside right now. Like, that kid would be, you know... That kid's going to struggle with obedience. The angel of the Lord shows up to that kid's life even 20 years from now. You, th- you tell me that kid's going to say, and he arose and went and behold, blah, blah, blah. That kid's going to tell the angel, let me tell you something. You know? What, wh- 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 where'd that come from? Jen Wires today, uh, in job interviews will actually question and argue with the interviewer. Um, they'll ask sometimes more questions than the interviewer. Well, what kind of a job is this? What are you going to offer me? What's the, what's the pay scale here? How fast can I move up this company? There was one report of a girl taking an interview uh, 20, early 20s. She said to the interviewer, uh, who's the guy above me or who's the girl above me? And they said their name and she said, I'll have their job in 18 months. And it took that person like 15 years to get that position. Where does that come? What, you, any thoughts? Oh, we, got a, we got a minute here. Any thoughts? I'm just, I'm curious. Um, we have, a, we have a, a runner here. Any thoughts on where that comes from? Yeah, we just keep, we get her a mic here. You can shout it out too. why? I don't don't either. Does anyone? Yeah, certainly different than the shows we watched. And I say we like I'm not, you know, like I'm removing myself from this, but I feel like I'm in my mid-40s. I feel like I'm a little farther along here. And it just, I don't know. I, I mean, guys, again, I teach and I've got kids looking at me. I had a kid fall asleep in my class today. I teach the Bible. Just, I want to clarify that, okay? And, you know, again, you can teach the Bible poorly. I get that. But nonetheless, it's, a, it's the Bible. It's the word of God. I'm up there teaching, and I look over. He—he was—that's—that's that's what he looked like. It was nine thirty in the morning. Oh, I, I lit him up. I, actually, I went over to him and I just—I bent down and I just—I said, "Come see me." At So after class he was very late for his next class. I said above everything. I said honestly above everything. You know I don't care I don't care if you don't like my class. I really don't. Like I get paid the same way, right? And so I don't care if you don't like my class. I greatly care that that is the epitome of disrespect. When you lay physically lay your head down. No notes, no note taking. And shut your eyes. For more than a blink. Like 10-15 like seconds of shutting your eyes. Because he was claiming he wasn't sleeping. And I said well myself and the rest of the planet. Says that when you are lay your head down. And have your eyes shut. That defines sleeping. So whatever you think it was. It, it was this. It was high, high disrespect. And I wish I could say guys honestly. I wish I could say. Um, even at a private Christian high school. That that was the first and only time that's happened to me. But. Where does that come from? Yeah, and there's I think there's one in the back here too. Maybe yep. maybe what um, I'd like to say about it, I'm I'm a grandparent now, but what I see with kids today is they're offered and over offered and the parents want them to have what they didn't have and have the best of everything. Yeah. And there's no gratitude there. They're just always expecting it's a struggle. Yeah, I agree. Expecting. They they have no it's nothing to them. Yeah. Yeah, I, a lot of entitlement. And again, lest I get a bunch of emails or, well, my kid's not like that and I have the perfect kid and I get it. This, sure. These are generalizations. I get that. But guys, research is clear. There is a different way of thinking today. That, that's not like debatable. That's not, you know, if your kid isn't doing that, praise God. He's, he or she's the exception. Um, it is a, it is, it, there is a lot of entitlement going on. Um, I'll give you my thought in just one second. But let me me hear from... There's a a person in the back here. Might have to shout it out. Does that work? There you go. Sorry. (laughs) As a fellow educator myself, I see it's the fear of failure from the parents. Yeah. More so they're afraid of their children experiencing failure instead of seeing failure as an opportunity for growth. do Do you mind me asking, though... When did that happen, first of all, and why? I mean, I agree. I just, I'm curious as to... Because I would argue that I think it's the breakdown of the nuclear family. I think that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things going on in the nuclear family. Um, Single parenting, the Mm -hmm. stress of that, the survival mode that often... Not just single parents, but often a lot of us find ourselves in. That we... we, Do we abandon? Do we not? You know, and I don't want to make this a parenting lesson. I'm just... I just know that a lot of our kids, I think, when they read passages like this today, they see it through different eyes. Mm-hmm. They see it through, well, why wouldn't he ask? Where I mean, that's a normal question. Why wouldn't he ask an angel of the Lord? <laughs> well, that's a fair, you know, seriously, I mean, I could ask a lot of my students and they would say, yeah, it's a fair question to ask the angel of the Lord. Guy says, get up and go somewhere. It's a fair question to ask why, where am I going? What should I do? And. There's, there's just a, there's a, there's a, I don't know, there's something with the idea of just because that has lost a lot of emphasis today. I think a lot of us grew up on the just because. And while that can be even questioned, because sometimes the just because's were wrong, there was a built in kind of respect there. There was a built in, okay, I get it. Like, just because, because you're the parent, because you're the authority, because you're the teacher, because you're the cop, because you're, you know. The principle, I get it, I'll I'll do it. I may not like it, I may not agree with it. And let's be honest, guys, those of us who have kids or or are a little farther along in life, we're not right all the time. But I think that the younger generation needs to give us that because they're going to be our age one day and they're not going to be right all the time. It is a respect issue. And what I, I guess I just want to point out here, Philip is giving the utmost respect to the angel of the Lord. Maybe out of fear. It doesn't say it, but it's certainly out of obedience. And because of that, guys, because of your obedience to God, because of your faithfulness to him, without a whole lot of questioning. Elizabeth's question, husband questioned the angel, right? Your your wife's going to have a John John the Baptist. And he questioned the angel and the angel shut him up for nine months. The angel said, that's fine. Ask your question. And then after that, you're not going to talk for nine months. And oh, how I wish I had that power sometimes, right? why why do we do that i I don't know I, I think it's just human nature, I guess um I'm just suggesting this God is really really a big fan of obe- of obedience um the thought over here we are I need to move on really fast, but if we have a comment, it's hard to see okay, yep, there we go I think we don't hold a lot of people, especially kids, accountable for their actions, true you know you have a lot of kids that their mom and dads try to, oh, my son or my daughters, you know, they would never do something like that. Yeah. And they just kind of, it's hush-hush, and that teaches kids that it's okay to do anything you want and you can get away with it. Listen, I wholeheartedly agree. If I was a kid and my parents were like, you know what, take this far, we're all taking this far. And if they don't do anything here, I'm taking this. Like, that's the game we play as kids, isn't it? How far can I get away with this? At some point, we just got to draw the line here. All right. Anyway, um, angel of the Lord says, go. And he goes, watch this. He rose and went. Behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch. Why is this, why is the map still up? I w- is the map still up? Is it up now? I'm sorry about that. I totally... Good. Okay. Why is the map still up? Because do you know where Ethiopia is? Okay. In Africa, right? So let me just zoom out here. Okay. And now... We're in Africa, okay. And Ethiopia. If you see the horn, basically on the bottom mid right side of Africa, it's just to the left of that. There's a little body of water there. There are Kenya's over there. Somalia, kind of just north uh, east of that would be um, Ethiopia, okay. I will make you my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And the angel of the Lord says to Philip, go. And he goes and he's and on his way, coincidentally, unbeknownst to him, there was an Ethiopian eunuch. On the same road. A court official of Candix, queen of the Ethiopians. And this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch was in charge of all of her treasure and he was a Gentile who converted to Judaism. And he just is coming back from Jerusalem because he was worshiping him up there. Ethiopia to Jerusalem, guys, is like 750 miles. It's it's a month by chariot. This guy's so committed to Judaism, he takes a month to travel all the way up through, coming up through Egypt. And then around the horn here, coming up through Israel and then into Jerusalem. Now he's on his way back to Ethiopia and right where the blue and white kind of intersect there, that's where these two meet. Philip has, he's never been to Ethiopia. He, he's probably never seen, because this guy is truly an African, he's probably never seen someone like that, or if he has been very rare. And this guy has power. He's like the CFO of Ethiopia. He is the, he is in charge of the queen of the Ethiopians' treasure. Like, this guy is, is somebody. And he's on his way back to, Jerusalem, or back to Ethiopia to make the month-long journey back. And, and it says in verse 28, and as he was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Now again, if you're walking along and you see a chariot, and the angel of the Lord says, go up and speak to this chariot, what would your question be? Why? Why? What do you want me to say to this guy? I have nothing in common with him. I'm walking. He's of power. We look different. We speak different. What do you want me to say? Would be an obvious, natural question. Look at Philip's response. And when Philip had run up, I love that. He's like, he's like a, he's like a dog. Like, where do you want me to go next? You know, go to that chariot. Boom, I'm going. He gets up to the chariot and he heard the guy reading Isaiah the prophet. And so Philip's question is this, hey, do you understand what you're reading here? That's a great question. Philip had to have heard the sound of Isaiah the prophet coming from this guy's mouth and just thought jackpot. Like I know about Isaiah. Guys, don't doubt that God will place you in someone's path that you know the answer to their question. But it kind of begs the question, do you know enough about God's word to feel comfortable if someone were reading God's word and you approached them and said, hey, what you reading? I'm reading the book of Isaiah. Awesome, what passage are you in? Or would it be like, is that Old Testament, New Testament? Now, wait a minute, Where? what is Isaiah now in uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you know, like, am I comfortable with that? Hey, what are you reading? I'm reading the book of John. Oh man, have you, have you read chapter three yet? Cause this is where it gets crazy good. See, so I, Philip says, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading Isaiah. And he says, Do you understand it. And the guy says, well, how could I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip up to come sit with him. Now the listen to this the passage, which he was reading, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. He does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself, of someone else? Like, guys, he's begging Philip, basically, to share the gospel with him. And Philip is so obedient. Philip opened his mouth and the... Open his mouth in verse 35 and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. The reason I love that is because God has Philip on this adventure. He was just performing signs and wonders and miracles. You would think that Philip would introduce that, slip that into the conversation somewhere. Hey, by the way, guess how we just met. You're not going to believe this. I'm just hanging out in Samaria after performing signs and wonders, by the way. I healed like 17 people lame to what? I did that. And then I'm just hanging out in Samaria. Angel of the Lord says to me, boom, go. And I go. And all of a sudden now I'm here with you. You think he would slip that? I would slip it in. Philip began from the scripture preaching Jesus. Guys, that's all people need is Jesus. They don't need our wow stories. If it works for you, it works for you. But sometimes we, we get all confused and and discombobulated in the story because we want to get all these other stories in. All they need to hear is Jesus. And here's the cool part. Did you know that you can preach Jesus from the Old Testament? Do you know that if someone's reading the book of Isaiah, you can share the gospel with them? Do you know that if someone's reading the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Isaiah, you can share Christ with them? Don't ever think that, well, you're reading the Old Testament, I've got nothing to say about the Old Testament. He's reading Isaiah, and he just so happens to be reading about Jesus, coincidentally. And Philip says, you're reading about Jesus. Listen to this. They went along the road, came up to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water. Philip as well as a eunuch and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit snatched Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Where did the eunuch go on rejoicing to? Ethiopia. First missionary to Africa right here. Because Philip was obedient. Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth all happened in Acts chapter 8. According to our way, probably not. Philip, real quickly as we close, Philip finds himself, look back up at the map, Philip finds himself in Azotus. Okay, from the blue line to the white line, it's about 20 miles. And I love, I love, love, love God's word, guys, because we don't, uh, the word snatch there. And the Holy Spirit snatched Philip away is the same word in First Thessalonians four, where we get snatched up in the in the air with the Lord. Uh, it's the same in First Corinthians twelve, where Paul is snatched away to the to the heavens. I honestly think Philip dunks this guy. And then whatever you want to think, Star Trek, uh, Willy Wonka, where the kid just floats in the p- particles, however you want to think it, but the Holy Spirit said, lo, 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 poof, I'm throwing you twenty miles away over to Azatos. Never saw him again. Never saw him again. The next time those two will meet is in heaven. And what a conversation that'll be. Dude, tell me about what happened when you got back to Ethiopia. Oh my goodness. Dude, tell me what is it like. Because when I come up out of the water and as I dry my eyes, you were gone. Where did you go? You're not going to believe this. The Holy Spirit just just took me 20 miles away. What a great story. What a great time they're going to have. I want to be in on that conversation. Like, who are you? I'm nobody. I just want to listen to you guys talk. <laughs> but Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, listen to this, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea, which is north right up here. Okay. I love, love, love Philip's obedience because he doesn't talk to people about these miracles or just odd events. We like to talk about them. His one focus was, do you know Jesus? I wonder if that's our message this holiday season. I wonder if it's because I'm trusting God in the midst of opposition because I'm trusting God that his will is greater than mine because I'm trusting God that he has a plan and he's going to work it out and I'm leaving the results to him. I wonder, guys, if I could trust God in those four things, would I step out in faith just a little more this season? God really is. I want to end with what we started with. God, give me the faith To trust what you say. That you're good and your love is great. Let's pray. Father, I need that faith. Oh, I just need that faith, Father. I know people in my circles that need to know you. I know that um, family members that uh, not not just need to know you, but um, family members that need me to do better as a believer with love and joy and peace and patience and maybe father people in here their their lives are pretty secure with you and and that's a great thing and i'm so glad they're here but god maybe our trust level right now is pretty low we really are trusting in our own strength and by that i mean we're worrying a whole lot we're anxious we're stressed maybe some of us god need to walk out of here trusting you more Maybe our prayer tonight is, God, I don't know what that means in terms of how that's going to play out tomorrow or the next day, but I know you do. And maybe if I could just act like Philip act, God, here I am, I'm obedient. And so I'm going to grab some invite cards. I'm going to make sure I know the church's email address and website and first person to ask me, Father, you know, what, where do you do on Christmas Eve? What, where where do you go to church? Boy, I'm going to be bold in that conversation. And I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm going to trust you for the results. I would love, Father, for that to happen uh, for these faithful servants of yours. So I pray that for them. I pray for great conversations to happen and great results because of you and your son in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks guys. We'll see you next week.